So context of John, uh, in John 13, it's the, the last supper, the final supper. Jesus has gotten his uh, guys together and um, he's giving them some different ideas. And he starts with this really powerful um, picture of serving. That God himself kneels down and washes the feet of his servants and it's just this really incredible moment and then they have the the seder meal the passover meal and jesus is breaking the bread which is his body and they're drinking the cup which is his blood and this is because when when you have a covenant because that's what he's making a new covenant when you have a covenant there are two things that have to go along with it there's a sacrifice which jesus becomes that sacrifice for the new covenant and there's also a list of things that both parties must do to maintain the covenant Okay, and if you want to look all the way back, Mosaic covenant with Moses, Abrahamic covenant with Abraham, the Davidic covenant with David, they all had these three things. There was a sacrifice, maybe just two things, sorry, a sacrifice, sorry, and what each party has to do. And that's essentially what this is. This is the list of things that you and I have to do to uphold our end of the covenant. The old covenant had... 600 and some of these. These are all the things that you have to do in order to be blessed by God, in order to be loved by God, in order to be accepted by God. You had to do all of these things. And Jesus, in the new covenant, says, just one. It's just one. A new, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. That right there should have caused all 12 of his disciples to go, all right, He's jumped the shark. He has gone too far. He is now giving us new commandments. We've got commandments. That's what Moses did. Moses got them from God. Now this guy is giving us new commandments in his blood. Okay, we're out. We've crossed the line. But Jesus had done so many things and had walked with them and had talked with them and they were understanding who he was and beginning to get it. And so they listened. Love each other as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Man, I love that last part. That's not true. I equally love and hate that part. I sometimes wish that the way people could know that I am his disciple is is just because I go to church. That'd be super handy, right? I go to church every Sunday. I check off my box. I do the hand raising in worship. I give my tithe. I read my Bible. I'm a disciple of God and everyone should know that. Just like that, no, 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 no. There's only one way. And this is where I struggle. Because I want us to love the world because the world needs some loving, okay? But that's not at all what this commandment is. If I want to be true to the text of this commandment, he's looking at the 11 because Judas is about to, you know, do his Judas thing. So there's 11, and he's looking at the 11, and he's just saying, you need to love him, and you need to love him, and you need to love him, and you love him, and you love him, and you love him, and you love him. It by your love internally as a group that will then extend to the first church in the book of Acts that we'll look at here in a little bit. By that love for one another, everyone else will observe and go, They follow Jesus. And my challenge is, I challenge you, that's, that's not our reputation in the streets. Okay? That's not our reputation in communities. Very rarely in, in American culture 
Are there people doing something like out in a park and, and there's a group of Christians coming by and they're like, yes, the Christians are here. They're gonna love us. They're gonna serve us. They're gonna, do, they're, 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 they're awesome. They are awesome. Generally it's, oh, what are they against today? Are they against me today? I thought I was just kind of hanging out with my friends and then, well, they're coming, so they're probably against something. Too often the church is known for what it's against, not what it's for. And the one thing we're for is love. That is the walking commandment, the, the marching orders of the new covenant. If you're a new covenant believer, which unless you, you attend, attended um, the, what do they call it? The Jewish place where you go to worship? Synagogue, thank you. Unless you attended synagogue yesterday, thank you, somebody. I didn't, I, there was a group. Thank you for working with my brain. Um, unless you attended synagogue yesterday, all of you are new covenant believers, okay? And so your marching order, not orders, order. This group right here. You're gonna love them. You're gonna love them. Love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. Well, what if, shh, shh, love them. But they did, shh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. love them. But they're awful. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. I can say that because I am. But still, the call is to Love. The call is to love, and we're going to get what that looks like. But before I, before I even, even dive farther into that, I need to show you that God is the God of relationships. And it's, it's powerful. It is unbelievably powerful. So if you have your Bibles, I don't think it's up on the screen, but in Gen, not Genesis, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, um, God makes a really interesting, gives himself a really interesting title. Yes, 3-6. He gives himself a title based on names. It's really interesting. Because throughout history, throughout history, the, we'll go with small g gods. The small g gods were all gods of location. Okay? Zeus is the god of Mount Olympus. The Nile, the, the, the Egyptians had gods that were the gods of the Nile. They were gods of location, specific places. Or they were gods who did things. The god Baal that we see Elijah battling is, was, was the god of, of rain. And, and so the gods that we see were gods of places and things. But in Exodus chapter 3, when God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai, he says... And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the God of people. I am the God who is in relationship with this, these people so much that I went with them where they went. All other gods, you had to go to specific places to meet God. Now, we see that in, in the Old Testament, okay? We've got the temple and we've got the, 
the, the tabernacle, but there was still this understanding that God, God's presence, his manifest presence, which we talked about, was found in that location, but God was everywhere. And God went with these people and he was their God. He wasn't the God of a location, he was the God of people. And this continues, turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, some of you have it memorized because you're more spiritual than I am. Jokes, it's funny. Psalm 23, actually that wasn't bad. Here we go, Psalm 23, very short, six verses. It's all relational language, the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd knew the sheep, spent time with the sheep, understood the sheep, the sheep knew his voice. There's tons of stuff about sheeps and shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me in relationship. You're not the God of a location. You're my God who goes with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I want you to remember that one in a little while. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore. That is all relational. It's I'm with you. I'm here with you. I'm going to make you do this. I'm going to make you do this for your benefit. I'm going to be with you all the time. And then we jump to the New Testament in the book of John. John records Jesus saying seven I am statements. And each one of these I am statements that, that Jesus makes is essentially taking this giant theological understanding and putting it to a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. It's not a theory. It's not a verse, it's not a book of the Bible, it's a person. It's a person that we build relationships with. It's a person that wants to know us intimately and wants us to know him and the word know, when you see it in the New Testament, rarely does it ever mean intellectually know, it means to know as in relationship, as a father, son, husband, wife, know each other, that you know what they're gonna say before they say it, they, you know how they're gonna react before they react. We need to know God in that fashion and he's that knowable. That's the amazing part is he's not a God who wants to keep us at a distance. He's a God that wants to pull us close always. So God is the God of relationships. Let's jump back to John 13. And look at John 13 some more. Because what, what Jesus does here is brilliant. Because if I tell you to go love someone, every single one of you is gonna have a different way of doing that. You're gonna have a different way of doing what I tell you to do. If I say your job is to love people, you're all gonna look at it differently based on how you were raised and your personality and all these different things and Jesus squashes all of that. You don't get to define love. If you've raised your hand and said, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I give him my life, he saved my soul, you no longer get to define what love looks like. Jesus said, I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. That should intimidate every single one of us. That is such a lofty standard that we're bound to fail because he loves us perfectly. 
He loves us perfectly. And it's just, it's absolutely amazing. It's this, it's a love that cannot be repaid. Jesus knows that when he pours out love to us, we're not going to give it back very well. On our best days, we are just lacking in our love back to God. But he loves us regardless anyways. And if that's how he loves us, that's how we are to love other people. He loves us when we don't love him. He loves us when we run away from it. He loves us when we fail. He loved us when we were his enemies. It's reckless, it's ridiculous, and it's faithful, and it's consistent. Therefore, our love should, we should love people when they don't love us, when they run away from our love, when they fail us, when they become our enemies. Our love should be reckless and ridiculous, faithful and consistent. Along your row. On Mondays, on Thursdays, on Labor Day and Memorial Day. This isn't, last week we talked about light of the world. We cannot be the light of the world if we can't love our rose, if we can't love our body, if we can't love each other. Because to the world, we looked at it last week, if we don't love in here, we are simply opaque to them. We're not letting the light and love of God go forward. Because if we can't love those who are like us, as Jesus said, can you love those who are so different? 1 Corinthians 13, and I went to a, a Baptist college, and so I've heard this recited at like 400 weddings, it seems like. Um, and I'm really sad because this is such a powerful, powerful section of verses that I, I'm, I'm so sad that it's relegated to weddings. Because this is... is you want to understand how God loves us and how Jesus loves us and you have questions, jump to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I think it starts in verse four. Let me find it. 1 Corinthians 13. There it is. First Corinthians 13, starting in verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There ain't a person in the world that doesn't want to attend a church like that. Whether they believe in Jesus or not. You do that, double this sanctuary, have nine services. Everyone wants that. Now, 1 John tells us that God is love, so we can do this. God is patient. God is kind. God does does not envy. 
or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way, and it just keeps going and keeps going. But here's what killed me, and I heard, I'm, I'm, this is a pastor that I heard, and so this is not my idea, but I did it, and I didn't like it, and so now I'm going to share it with you, because I'm kind that way. If we're one with Jesus, right, according to Scripture, Brian is patient and kind. Brian does not envy or boast. Brian is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. And some of you are like, this is just not true. And it's not. Not in the slightest. Because I've got so much work to do. And, and the work that I've got to do is the easiest and hardest work that there is. I have to go back to the God of relationships and love and like Mary, sit at his feet and have him teach me about love. So many of us want to be, there's a story in Luke, and it's real quick, if you don't know the context, there's two sisters, Martha and Mary. Jesus comes to their house. Martha's cooking the dinner, setting the table, doing the dishes, vacuuming, taking care of the dog. She's like doing all the stuff. And Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so all of you older siblings find Mary to be obnoxious. Um, and all of you younger siblings are like, you should just chill. And so, um, but super cool, it, Mary, the sister of Martha, is found three times in scripture. Super cool, each time she's found at the feet of Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, and, and I think sometimes if we're struggling and we can't put our name in 1 Corinthians 13, we need to marry it up a little bit and go sit with the, the God who is love and just let him teach us what love really looks like. And that's hard because we want to do stuff. And we do need to do stuff. Don't get me wrong. The whole end of my message is about us doing stuff, okay? But sometimes we need to pause on the doing and rejoice in the sitting and enjoying and the reason we need to do that is because our default setting is not love, okay? It's not. And this is, I, I've read John 13 so many times. It is literally one of my favorite sections of scripture in all of the Bible, and I did not catch this. I did not catch this until this week. This is awesome. So, John 13, okay, if you need to go back there, jump back there, because you need to see this. This is awesome. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, fourth gospel, John 13. So we read 34 and 35 earlier, okay? Now we're going to read the one before and the one after. So John 13, 33. Jesus says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, a new commandment. It's this giant theological point. It's this dividing point in history. It's all these things. You are to love one another as I have loved you, and this is how everyone is going to know, and it's going to be this amazing thing. What is Peter's response? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? I love that. I love... Missed the whole thing. Literally, the centerpiece of the new covenant... Now again, Peter, he gets it right. Who do you say I am? Peter's like, uh, the son of the living God, the Messiah. Yes, on, this, on that answer, I'm gonna build the whole church. Yes. Like four verses later, they're gonna kill me. I'll never let that happen. Get behind me, Satan. Oh. 
And then here, we're sitting at the table and we're doing these things and Jesus is painting for them essentially Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, Moses kind of stuff. And he goes, where are you going? I want to know where you're going. Our default setting is not love. He didn't even think about love. Okay, cool, that's awesome. We'll get to that. Where are you going? You keep saying you're going places. Where are you going? And I'm like, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. This is just... And sometimes I think Jesus looks at the church and he goes, I was right, it's not going well. It's not. Because we're so concerned about where we're going. And if you're a part of our church right now, we're so concerned with where we're going that we've forgotten that the command is just to love. God will take care of all the other stuff. I'm preaching to myself as well, so I'm sitting down there in first row, okay? My job's to love. Not trying, oh, I got I got here and I got there and I got this and I got that and I got I got I got to stop. Sit like Mary. Let God love you so that you can love everybody else. Because this love is only cultivated in the presence of God. And it's, it's not cultivated through singing or talking about it. I'm going to be careful I say this. It's not cultivated through singing or talking about it. We can celebrate it through those things, but it is truly cultivated. It is truly built up inside of us only through the presence of God. We have to be willing to stop everything else that's going on and to sit with God. Something that kills me, and I see it all the time, and I was guilty of this for the longest time. We say yes to Jesus and it changes our eternity, but it doesn't change our mentality for the moment. There are so many Christians walking around like my eternity is set. I am so good with God, but I'm kind of mean to people. I'm pretty selfish. I go to church about once a month. I don't invite people to my, like there's so many things, but my eternity's set, I'm good with God. And that's theologically true, it is. But don't let God just change your eternity, let him change your mentality. Let him change your purpose. A couple more verses. Acts chapter two. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has gone back to to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. He has given his people his Holy Spirit to go and to do the things that he has commanded them to do. And in Acts 2, we get this really cool picture of what they were doing. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna have it up on the screen. I'm not gonna read all of it. I just wanna read what they were doing, okay? So up on the screen, here's all the things that they were doing in Acts 2, 42 through 47. They were listening to the apostles' teaching. They were having fellowship, sharing in meals. They were praying. They met together all in one place. They shared everything. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together. They met in homes and shared their meals. They enjoyed the goodwill of all people. Everything before that is all internal. Everything above that happens all inside within the body of Christ. And when they did all of those things, they had goodwill with all people. 
And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Did you notice? This is what I noticed. Never once shared their faith. There's no recalling of anything that they were doing that they went out and told people, this is who Jesus is. This is how bad you are. You need Jesus. Nope. They ate some really good food. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They listened to the apostles' teaching. They shared everything. 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 And they loved each other so well that in that culture, outsiders who had no idea who Jesus was or had yet to believe in Jesus, every single day were being added to their numbers. People were coming to know Jesus because they were doing the new commandment of the new covenant. That's it. There was, it's, not, it's not like this, and we do this in, in, in modern day Christianity, we have, we have books and seminars and trainings and all these things on how to evangelize and they're all great and we need them and we should do it better, okay? But there's, there's an appearance within scripture that loving the people in your row is enough to save the world. That's weird to me. I'm just going to be honest. That's weird to me. That we can love each other in this room so well that all of Harrisonville is coming in like, I saw you guys, like, I didn't even know those relationships still existed. Like, if we act like that, hey, you want to come hang out? No, man, my church is getting together. Didn't your church, like, get together yesterday? Oh, yeah, but that was, like, this other group. Over here, this is, this is just my friends. That was my small group. And then I've got a men's group. And then I've got like a couple's group. Well, what about your kids? Oh, they've got tons of friends because they have kids and they have kids and they have kids. And we as adults, we force them to be friends so we can be friends. And so laugh. It's what we do in church, right? Some of you have adult friends now because your parents force you to be friends as kids so they could hang out. Okay? Think about it. I promise you, you do. And my kids are going to have the same thing because I want to have some adult friends who have kids. And so you're going to like each other. Figure it out. But they invite you to do something and you're like, I can't because I got church. And you're like, wow, like, why? Why do you do all this church stuff? Because they, they love me. Because they accept me. Because like two years ago, I was going through this really rough season. And I had to like buy another fridge for all the food they brought me. I didn't even ask. On Sunday mornings, they, they see me and they're not like cordially excited to see me. They're like genuinely excited to see me. There's no middle ground with this love either. When we start loving each other like this, there's no middle ground. Some of the people will love it and jump on board and some of you guys are gonna hate it. And you're gonna see us as weird that we're trying to get involved in your life and we're just nosy and busy bodies. Like, no, we're just, we're, just, we're just trying to love you. And guess what? We're not great at it, but we're gonna keep trying. And it's going to be awkward sometimes. We're just going to have to deal with it. 
And here's, here's what's really fun is if we all loved each other in these rows and, and then if, if they try and love me in a way that doesn't work for me, I love them by forgiving them and it's cool because I know their heart. I know what they're trying to accomplish. They're just trying to love. And it goes beyond, okay, I'm gonna have, how do I wanna say this the right way? Way too often in church culture, someone shares a need with you or you, let, or you read it on Facebook, okay? You read it on Facebook and you type in the comments, thoughts and prayers, coming at you. Thoughts and prayers, man, thoughts and prayers. All the time, thoughts and prayers. Now, if you're a younger generation, thoughts, prayers, vibes, man. Thoughts, prayers, good feelings. I don't need your thoughts. I don't care about your thoughts. Maybe some action would be great. Amen. <laughs> right? Your prayer is coveted, absolutely, because God can move mountains. I'm not great at moving mountains. He said I can't, I haven't figured it out yet. God can move mountains. I don't need your thoughts, I don't need your good vibes. If I'm struggling with something, I need some people that will put feet to belief and do something. Passivity is not found in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is advancing at all cost, and it advances into your life and disrupts your life in the best way possible. Because no, if I, if I walk off the stage, break my ankle, God, don't do that, and I'm coming home, no, the first thing I don't want when I get home from the hospital is 10 people in my living room welcoming me home. I don't want that. Do I need that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I need to know that people absolutely care about me and will, will come to the hospital just to sit with me? Absolutely. Do I want it? No. I want to be by myself. I want to sulk in my pain. I just broke my ankle. I'm sad. I want it. No. Go away. And your response is, no. We love you. Because proximity is supposed to breed passion. When we're close, when we've got faces and names and we know they're kids, it's supposed to breed passion for each other. Supposed to breed like this, I have to do something for you. And this isn't just when times are bad. Like the, the church is great when times are bad, but what about when you get that promotion? Because we always talk in church like, man, I'll be with you when you don't get that. What about when they do? Who's throwing the party for the guy who just got promoted? Why does everything have to be, I brought you a casserole because it's terrible? No, I baked you a cake because you got something cool. Casseroles are great. Cakes are better, okay? But it's not just in bad things. It's in great things. It's, same, and, and, uh, it's the same like when you have kids. No, you don't want a thousand people coming over. But two at a time, maybe. I would, I would just love one time, just one time. We get, you know, on the prayer chain, Someone's in the hospital for something and you get to the hospital and you check in and the nurse is like, get in line because there's like 40 people already waiting and they got like a five person policy of like only five visitors at a time and you got like 40 church people like, I'm just gonna chill, I'm just here. I'm here until I get in, I'm not going anywhere. Now yes, that's obnoxious, I get it, okay? And for some of you who are like, don't, no, don't do that, no, don't. Write me a card, slip it under my door, okay? It's fine. 
But see, that's where we have to have relationships to know what people actually need. Some people want 30 people in their hospital room. Some people want 30 notes. Some people want 30 casseroles. Some people want different things, and we have to know what they want. But sometimes we need people when it's really hard. So I want you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And here in a minute, you'll see some people moving around. It's okay. They're helping me with something in a minute. They're not offended by Galatians. Oh, it's up there. I don't have to turn there. That's why I put it up there, because in the middle, I forget where things are. Galatians chapter 6. This is what share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ that they're referring to is John 13, 34. Love one another as I have loved you. That's, it, that's exactly it. When we bear each other's burdens, we obey what God told us to do. And way too often in church, we like to have our nice, freshly pressed white shirts. But those of you who know what it looks like to carry something, it's not how it works. So I've got some friends who are going to come help me demonstrate this. Now, little preface, none of the things I'm about to say are true of these people, okay? It's all made up. They're just my helpers, okay? So we've got a friend who's going through some stuff. And proximity brings, breeds passion. And what we need to do too more often than not is to give one of these. And say, man, I heard the other day that you're struggling with anxiety, depression. Man, I don't know what that's like, but I'm here. I'm here. You need someone to text. You need someone to call. I'm here. You're not alone. You don't have to go through this alone. You don't have to worry alone. You don't have to be sad alone. You cry. I cry. I'm with you, man. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to do this together. And you come apart. His stuff's my stuff. He doesn't have to, whoo. He doesn't have to be alone. He doesn't have to be alone. Thank you. Because when we carry someone else's burden, the weight becomes light. They don't feel alone. They don't feel abandoned. They know that someone else cares. Because that's what all of you want. If you were honest, if you could, if you could stop all the pretense and knock down all the walls... I mean, I just want someone to care. And so we come to our next friend. Exactly, squeeze it in there. Man, I heard that, that you had some medical stuff and that you're gonna be in the hospital. And, and I heard that, you know, like, man, you're not gonna be able to come in, but what I'm gonna do, I can't come into your room, but I'm gonna stand outside and I'm gonna turn the flashlight on on my phone so you can look out that window and you can see my church is there for me. And when you come home, whatever you need, you got it, man. It is, I am here with you. I am here with you. I'm not going anywhere. I am here until you're well. I am here with you. I am here with you. Your stuff is my stuff. 
You don't have to do this alone. God put us in the body of Christ so that we can carry each other's burdens. So many people. The number one reason that people, young people, I'm going to jump into youth world for just a minute. The, the, the number of young people who are killing themselves is at an astronomical rate because they all feel alone. We are the most connected group of people in the history of the world, and yet every single one of you struggles with loneliness. So, my friend, my friend here uh, served in our military. Again, this is a story. Heard you getting deployed, and that's scary. I don't know what it looks like to converse. I don't know what it looks like, but man, you email me, boom. First thing I'm doing is emailing you back. You got wife and kids. You don't have to worry about your yard. You don't have to worry about your bushes. You don't have to worry about none of that. We're gonna take care of it. We're there for you no matter what you need. You tell your wife, here's 10 people, here's 10 numbers. You make sure that she calls when she needs something. We're here. We're not going anywhere. And all of a sudden, the fear is gone. All of a sudden, the worry and concern because we have 150 people who are willing to die to themselves to bear one another's burdens. Now, real quick, if you're doing this for people, two things. One, I only brought three people up here because that's about as many as you can do, okay? About three people's burdens is all you can carry. But the truth of the matter is, the distance you have to carry them is from where you meet that person to the cross because they're not really yours. You carry them to the feet of Jesus, lay them back down and say, God, help me know what to do. Help me know how to love them. Help me know how to be tangible in these moments to love this person in a way that you love me. In the Bible, there are 59 times in the New Testament that it uses the phrase one another. They're called the one another's because Christian church is super creative. I know, right? We're going to one another, one another. Out of the 59, 20 of them say love. Over a third of the things we're supposed to do to one another are love. Imagine with me what a church would look like if not a single person had to carry their own burdens, if every single one of us was done with this pretty, nice, white, pristine, no good, doesn't accomplish anything Christianity and decided I'm gonna get a little dirty. I'm gonna get a little involved with some people. I'm gonna be a little nosy. I'm gonna get in their business. I'm gonna let them get in my business because that's the other part we're not talking about. For us to do this, I have to know what's going on in their lives. For someone to carry my burden, I have to become transparent and say, I'm not okay. Here's the 10 things I need. And then 10 people step up and go, I got you. I got you. You cry, I cry. You smile, I smile. We do this together. There was never intended to be Lone Ranger Christianity. There was never intended to be isolation. It is a body of Christ for a reason. So that you always know, I've got a safe place. I've got people who care. I've got people who love me. And yeah, it's messy. It's messy. But Jesus was messy from lying in the dirt with a woman who was just caught in adultery. He was dirty when he laid his physical skin hands on a leper. You know, take it. 
I read this just the other day. This one hit me hard. Mother Teresa would walk the streets of Calcutta and see a child who was dying of an illness and would lay in the dirt and the mud and the feces of the streets of Calcutta holding that child's hand until they slipped away. That's church. That's church. Church ain't this building. Church ain't these seats. Church ain't our programs. It's not our kids' ministry. It's not our youth ministry. It's not this Sunday service. Church is a group of people loving one another in the exact same way that Christ loves us until the whole world sees and goes, I don't have to do this alone. What do I gotta do to get in? We just open the doors. This is what it means to fulfill the law of Christ. And dream with me. Dream with me for just a second. What does church look like? What does church feel like? How much fun is church? Now, don't get me wrong. This is dangerous. And I, this is actually my closing. I promise. This is really, I'm going to stop talking here in just a second. This is dangerous. It's dangerous to your time. It's dangerous to your wallet. It's dangerous to your privacy. It's dangerous. Because you're going to, you're going to take in and sometimes it's going to be hard to find anyone to wear your paint. And that's why going all the way back, Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. Because I can go back like Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus and let him love me and my cup runs over until everyone else picks up on it and they start carrying my burdens too. But I don't have to wait for someone else to carry burdens, I can start. I can start carrying burdens And for each and every one of you that are in here, I'm sorry I haven't done it sooner. I'm sorry it's taken me this long to realize what this really looks like. I'm sorry to my elders. I'm sorry to you guys. I'm sorry that that it took me this long to recognize what it really means to love someone. And I hope this morning we can catch it and change the lives of this body and everyone in our communities.